Hey, good morning, everybody. Before I say anything else, I want to apologize. Uh, we should have given out Kleenex on your way in today. So sorry we didn't get that done. But man, that's a powerful story, isn't it? This is probably the greatest and best-known story that Jesus ever told, the parable of the prodigal son. This story connects with all of us because we all have this longing to come home to a father who loves us. You've probably heard of Charles Dickens, the famous author. This week I heard that Dickens called the prodigal son the finest short story ever written. And I'd have a hard time arguing with that. Because no matter who you are, God can use this story to speak to you in a powerful way. You know, Jesus often taught by telling a story, and that was intentional. Stories are the language of the heart, and Jesus knew that very well. That's why he didn't teach by just going through a list of facts. Now, he could have done that. Jesus could have said, okay, everybody, listen up. Number one, God loves you. Number two, running away from God is bad. Number three, coming home to God is good. Everybody clear? All right, you're dismissed. That's not what Jesus did. He gave us a story that goes straight to the heart. Now, we're going to dive into this parable today, but before we do, I need to give a word of caution. Some of us have heard this story many, many times, and because of that, you may be a little tempted to check out, but don't let that happen because the stories of Jesus are not as simple as we sometimes think. There are many layers here. And I am confident that if you listen closely, you will hear a message that is fresh and relevant and very applicable to your life. So lean in and be open to hear what God has to say through his word. Now, first of all, I need to set the stage a little. We're going to be looking at Luke chapter 15. And we don't get to the prodigal son until verse 11 of this chapter, but we need to get some context back in verses 1 and 2. So follow along with me. Luke 15, verse 1, it says, Now the tax collectors and sinners were all gathering around to hear Jesus. But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law muttered, This man welcomes sinners and eats with them. Now, these two verses are very important because this is where we learn about the crowd that's listening to Jesus. And we've got two groups, right? You could call them the front row and the back row. And who's in that front row? Well, this group is made up of sinners, tax collectors, people with a a reputation of being very far from God. But do you see what's happening here? This group of sinners is gathering around Jesus. They want to hear what he has to say. And that's kind of amazing, isn't it? These people were nothing like Jesus, but they very much liked Jesus. They were drawn to him, despite their sketchy history with God. So that's the front row. But then we have this other group in the back, the Pharisees, the teachers of the law, And they're standing back there with their arms folded, and they're just looking for a chance to criticize something. And they're already upset, right? They don't like the fact that Jesus welcomes these low-life losers who have already proven that they're anything but religious. So keep that setting in the back of your mind. 
Jesus is speaking to both groups in this crowd, the front row and the back row. And before Jesus talks about the prodigal son, he tells two other stories. The first one is about a lost sheep. This shepherd has a hundred sheep, but then one of them wanders away. And the shepherd leaves the 99 to go out and find that one. When the shepherd finds the sheep, he tells all of his friends, and he has a big celebration. In the next story, Jesus talks about a woman who loses a silver coin. And she looks all over the house. She, she looks under the sofa cushions. She turns the place upside down. And finally, she finds it. And just like that shepherd, she calls her friends and neighbors, and she celebrates. And with both of these stories, the point is the same. Jesus says this is exactly what it's like when a sinner comes home to God. It's a big celebration. Now, you could imagine how the two groups in the crowd would have responded to these stories, right? The front row would be thinking, wow, does God really look at me like that lost sheep or that lost coin? After everything I've done, is he really searching for me? Those sinners are kind of excited about what Jesus is saying. But what's happening in the back row? Well, those guys are just rolling their eyes. They're like, come on, Jesus. Do you, you really want people like this to start showing up at the synagogue? That's the last thing we need. So that's the situation. And you have to wonder what Jesus will do next. How can he deal with both of these groups at the same time? Well, what he does is absolutely genius. Jesus tells a story that is perfectly aimed at both of these groups. The story is usually called the prodigal son, but that's probably not the best title. This parable is actually about two sons. There's a younger son who runs away. And then there's also an older son who stays home. And we're going to see that through this story, Jesus speaks directly to the front row and the back row. Now, we need to be ready to hear this story, so we're going to do a little self-evaluation. I'm going to give you two options, and I want you to choose which one matches you best. All right? Here's the first category. Would you say that you are more of a spender or more of a saver? Would you say uh, that a dollar bill just burns a hole in your pocket, or would you be more likely to stuff that thing under a mattress? Spender or saver? Pick one of those, and let's move to the second category. Would you call yourself an extrovert or more of an introvert? If I told you to go around and meet five new people right now, how would you feel about that? Would you be excited or would you be looking for the nearest exit? All right, category number three. Are you more of a wild side kind of person or would you rather stay on the safe side? What sounds better? Would you prefer to go skydiving or would you rather play it safe and watch those skydivers from the ground? All right, last question. Would you call yourself a rule breaker or a rule follower? For example, if you're driving and you look down and see that you're going five miles over the speed limit, what do you do? Do you hit the brakes or do you say, ah, it's cool, I'm still in that buffer zone? A rule follower would know that in the state of Kentucky, there is no buffer zone. Okay, so that's it. Do you have your answers? If so... I want you to look down this list 
and see where you fall. Do you fall more on the left side or more on the right side? Which column fits you? Most of us have a strong pull toward one side or the other, and we're going to see both of these sides represented in Luke chapter 15. If your answers were in that left column, you're going to have a lot in common with the younger son. If you're over on the right, that's a classic older son personality. So what should we know about these two personality types? Well, I can share one fact that has been proven over and over again. Younger son types have a tendency to get spiritually lost. They're often reckless, maybe a little rebellious. They're likely to make some really dumb decisions, and a lot of those decisions lead them far away from God. But then, younger sons aren't the only ones with issues. The truth is, older son types also have a tendency to get spiritually lost. Now, this can be tricky because these people usually look like they've got it all together. They just make responsible decisions. They do the right thing. However, there's a famous verse in the Old Testament that says, man looks at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. Jesus knows when we're doing the right things for the wrong reasons. Jesus knows when someone is so full of pride They've left no room for God. And when that's the case, an older brother can be just as lost as a younger brother. But Jesus has a great message for us, to, for us to hear today. He's speaking to the younger son types and the older son types. And here's the message. Here's the one takeaway that we need to remember. Whenever anyone turns to God, his answer is always the same. He says, Welcome home. Welcome home. For about a month now, we've been talking about this idea of home. We said the true definition of home is to be in the presence of God. And right now, some of us in this room have wandered away from God's presence. Maybe you've taken just a few steps, or maybe you've traveled for miles and miles in the wrong direction. Either way, this story is for you. Jesus is speaking to all of us. So let's dive in. In Luke 15, verse 11, Jesus continued, and he said, There was a man who had two sons. The younger one said to his father, Father, give me my share of the estate. So he divided his property between them. Now, a good storyteller normally starts out with something that grabs your attention. And Jesus definitely does that with this audience because they would have found this completely shocking. This request from the younger son is audacious, it's disrespectful, and it's deeply hurtful to the father. Let's look at what's going on here. In the Jewish culture of that time, a father's inheritance was divided up among his sons after he died. And because the oldest son would be the new head of the household, he got a double portion of that inheritance. So here's how that works. If a father has two sons, the inheritance is divided into three parts, and the older son gets the extra part. So that means the younger son would get one-third of the father's estate when the father died. And that's the key phrase here, when he died. 
You're not supposed to jump the gun and ask for that inheritance while dad is still alive. But this younger son was tired of waiting for his father to die. And by making this request, he sent a message that was loud and clear. The message was this, dad, I don't want you. I want your money. And that would have felt like a dagger to that father's heart. But this younger son was selfish and impatient. He was ready to live on the wild side. And in another shocking move, the father grants his request. So now the boy's got the money and he's free to leave. And Jesus says, not long after that, the younger son got together all he had, set off for a distant country, and there squandered his wealth in wild living. This guy went out and he found a first century version of Las Vegas and he started to party hard. And he discovered that daddy's money could buy lots of friends and lots of fun for a little while. But when the money ran out, the fun ran out. After he had spent everything, there was a severe famine in that whole country and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to a citizen of that country who sent him to his fields to feed pigs. He longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. You know, many times we dream about how good it would be if we could do exactly what we wanted to do, if we could have everything our way. But if that dream came true, we'd eventually learn what this younger son learned. He very much overestimated how great life would be if he was in charge. The situation changed almost instantly. One day, he's on the top of the world, but next day, he's down at the bottom. And when Jesus got to this point in the story, his listeners must have winced, both the front row and the back row, because this boy is not only broke, he's not only hungry, He's living with the pigs. And from a Jewish perspective where pigs are considered unclean, it would be difficult to paint a picture that's lower than this. There's no doubt about it. The younger son has hit rock bottom. And you know, nobody wants to hit rock bottom. That's a terrible place to be. But hitting rock bottom is often a blessing. Because many times, that's what it takes. That's what it takes for us to wake up and see that we've been acting like total idiots. And that's what happens to the younger son. The next verse says, When he came to his senses, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have food to spare, and here I am starving to death? I will set out and go back to my father and say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. So he got up and he went to his father. Finally, the young son is thinking clearly. What he thought he wanted was not what he really wanted. What he really wanted was to go home. He wanted his relationship with his father to be restored. But that's easier said than done. Now that he's had this wake-up call, he understands how much he has hurt his father. 
He knows that his dad has every right to be angry. His dad has every right to punish him for a long, long time. So the son prepares a speech. And he's not asking for much. If he could just be a servant in his father's household, that would be enough. So he starts the long journey home. And I can just imagine the son having this sick feeling in the pit of his stomach. What's dad going to say? What's he going to do? Is he going to hold this over my head forever? Will he just run me off? Will he even speak to me? He had no idea what was about to happen. This son did not know his father very well. The next verse says, But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son, threw his arms around him, and kissed him. This has to be one of my favorite verses in the whole Bible. This verse is a perfect description of the gospel of Jesus. This is the good news. When you have run away from God, when you have hurt him deeply, when when you've messed up to the point where you deserve some serious punishment, this is what God longs to do. He longs to welcome you home. He longs to take you up into his arms and restore you as a son or a daughter. You know, I didn't mention it earlier, but we should probably know the meaning of the word prodigal. Prodigal is a term that refers to spending money or resources freely and recklessly. It's being wastefully extravagant. Now, the younger son definitely matches that description, but he's not the only prodigal in this story. A preacher named Tim Keller wrote a short book about this parable, and I highly recommend it. The book is called Prodigal God. (laughs) And some people may look at that definition and say, well, why would you use that word about God? Well, there is a second definition to the word prodigal. It also refers to having or giving something on a lavish scale. And if that's what you're talking about, The word prodigal is a great description for God. We have a lavish and extravagant father who is waiting at the end of the road. His love for you never stops. He never gives up on you. It almost seems too good to be true, doesn't it? That's how the younger son felt. That's why the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. And I love this next part. The father completely ignores the son's speech because he's too focused on celebrating. He turns to the servants and he says, Quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate. For this son of mine was dead. And he's alive again. He was lost and he's found. So they began to celebrate. The father didn't wait for the son to speak the right words. The father didn't wait for the son to to pay back everything he had spent. He restored the son and went straight for the celebration. Without hesitation, that father said, welcome home. You know, it's the same thing with our heavenly father. It's not about saying the right words. The Father is looking for you to sincerely turn your heart to him. And when you turn to the Father, he will welcome you home. That's what Jesus is saying with this story. 
And it could be that this is why God wanted you to be here today. Maybe he wanted you to have a better understanding of who he really is. Maybe he wants you to know that you don't have to stay away. He's waiting for you to come home. So for some of us, uh, we could end right there with verse 24. And that is a great ending. If this was a movie, I'm pretty sure the credits would start to roll at this point. But Jesus isn't done yet. In that first part of the story, he's speaking to the front row. But now he turns his attention to the back row. And he says, Meanwhile, the older son was in the field. And when he came near the house, he heard music and dancing. So he called one of the servants and asked him what was going on. Your brother has come, he replied, and your father has killed the fattened calf because he has him back safe and sound. And the older brother refused to go in. Now, if you have an older son type of personality, you probably know exactly how he feels. Are you kidding me? Not only is dad letting this idiot back in the house, he's throwing a party for him. He's, he's killing the fattened calf that I raised. Unbelievable. The whole situation is blatantly unfair. And the son is not going to sit by and just let this happen. He's about to go off on his dad. And right about then, dad shows up. So his father went out and pleaded with him. But he answered his father, Look, all these years I've been slaving for you and never disobeyed your orders. Yet you never even gave me a young goat so I could celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours who has squandered your property with prostitutes comes home, you kill the fattened calf for him. So let me ask an honest question here. Do you think the older son was justified in his anger? And before you answer that, think about this. The younger son is now back home. He's been reinstated. He's back in line to get his share of the inheritance. But hold on. That inheritance has already been cut by one-third. So that means the older son has lost a ton of money because of his idiot brother. I did the math on this using some hypothetical numbers. If the inheritance was originally $900,000, the older son's portion should have been $600,000, right? But after the younger son blew all that money in Vegas and then magically took his place back in the family, the older son's share drops from $600,000 to $400,000. Because of his brother's irresponsibility and his father's extravagant forgiveness, the older son has lost $200,000. This whole fiasco has cost him a ton of money. So again, I ask you, is the older son justified in his anger? Well, on the one hand, there is no question that the younger son did not deserve this mercy and forgiveness from his father. However, there's a big problem here. The older son is acting like he did deserve his father's blessings and his father's inheritance. And this is the serious flaw of the older son mentality. This person says, God, I've tried to please you. I've tried to follow your rules. 
And I've actually done a pretty decent job, definitely better than most. So why are you treating me unfairly? Why are you letting me go through this right now? Have you ever heard someone with that kind of attitude? I have. Have you ever been someone with that kind of attitude? I have. But when this is our mindset, we're sending a message to God, and we may not even realize it. The message is, God, you owe me. But it's not true. He doesn't owe us anything. Sometimes an older brother type of person will try to make a deal with God, kind of like, I'll do this for you, but then you do this for me. The mindset of an older brother says, I just want to live in the kind of world where people get what's coming to them. But no, you don't. You don't want to get what you deserve. We all deserve the same thing. We've all sinned, and we all deserve to be punished. No one can earn blessings from God because no one has come even close to meeting God's perfect standard. We're all desperate for the grace of God. And if we can't admit that, then we're just as lost spiritually as that younger brother. So in this part of the story, Jesus is speaking to the back row. And you might think that he's just bringing the hammer down on those Pharisees and teachers of the law, but that's not quite accurate. Think about it this way. What was the father's response to the younger brother? Verse 20 says, he ran to his son. So he didn't wait. He took the initiative. But did you notice what the father did with the older brother? Verse 28 says, the father went out and pleaded with him. He took the initiative there as well. Once again, the father responds with amazing tenderness. He says, my son, you are always with me, and everything I have is yours. But we had to celebrate and be glad because this brother of yours was dead, and he's alive again. He was lost, and he's found. You see what the father is doing here? He runs after the older brother, and he says, I still want you in the feast. Now, I won't disown your brother, but I won't disown you either. So the choice is yours. Will you come in or not? And that brings us back to our one big takeaway. It doesn't matter if you're the older brother or the younger brother. Whenever anyone turns to God, his answer is always the same. Welcome home. You see, this story is not about someone else. This story is about you. It's about me. So I want to ask you today, where do you find yourself in this story? It could be that you're in the role of the father right now. Maybe someone you care about very much has run away from God. If so, you may want to follow the example of the dad in that video and write a letter. You could share your heart and say, I love you, I forgive you, and I'd love for you to come back home. That letter might make a difference, and it might not, I don't know. But either way, it's always a good thing to show someone the kind of love that God shows to us. So it could be that some of us identify with the Father in this story, but I know that all of us can identify with at least one of these two sons. And you know, we don't always fit neatly into one column or the other. We sometimes bounce back and forth, don't we? 
Maybe you've been a younger son who has tried more than once to be that older son, but it never seems to last. Or maybe you're an older son who has been working so hard to keep up that image, but then sometimes you cave under the pressure. On the outside, you look like the older son, but when no one else is looking, you've been acting like the younger son. Maybe you are that younger son who has hit rock bottom. Maybe that's where you are right now. Or maybe you're an older son who's been fooling yourself. You actually think you're doing a pretty good job of keeping the rules. And when someone else hits rock bottom, there's a little part of you that enjoys it because they're getting what's coming to them. Do you know where you are in the story? I know where I am. And you know, when Jesus told this story, I don't think the back row liked it very much. (laughs) My guess is that they walked away saying, why should that father let the younger son off the hook? His actions should have consequences. And yeah, it's true. There are always consequences to our actions. And yes, someone is always punished when we do wrong. But this is how the father proved his love for us. Jesus came into the world, and he took the punishment that we deserve. He went to the cross, and he put your sin on his shoulders. If you've been wild and reckless and rebellious, Jesus put your sin on his shoulders. If you've been proud and judgmental and entitled, Jesus put your sin on his shoulders. And that's what will save us from those younger son tendencies and those older son tendencies. The gospel of Jesus is not about doing whatever you feel like doing. It's also not about doing the right thing for the wrong reasons. So what is it about? In the book Prodigal God, Tim Keller sums it up pretty well. He says, How can the inner working of the heart be changed from a dynamic of fear and anger to that of love joy, and gratitude. Here's how. You need to be moved by the sight of what it cost to bring you home. When you look at the cross, you can see how much love God has for you. And when you know how loved you are, you want to come home to him. And when he welcomes you home and he throws his arms around you and he reinstates you as a son or a daughter, you will be a different person. You will want to please him and obey him, but not out of fear. Your motivation will be gratitude and love. So the invitation is in front of you. Are you spiritually lost right now? If so, you can turn to him. Or was there a time in your past when you did come home to God, but then later you wandered away again. If so, you can turn back to him. Whoever you are, wherever you've been, when you turn to him, his answer is always the same. He'll say, welcome home. 